I talk a lot of trash. I'm always going to. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today we're going to be looking back at Monday's action. There were nine games on, some huge performances. Talk about all of that. A couple of injury notes uh, to go through as well as previewing the four games for Tuesday for DFS. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. All right, that is a great idea. We will start as we always do with monstrous line of the night. It was a close call, but I am giving the monstrous line of the night to the table. Montrez Harrell, who was monstrous again. Thirty-two minutes for Harrell in a win over the Atlanta Hawks. Twenty-five points with eleven rebounds, one assist. Five steals and two blocks. He was 5 of 10 from the field and an absolutely unbelievable 15 of 18 from the free throw line. Harold is a top 50 player this season. I talked about him at length in the preseason saying he was the best center on this roster and he was due for a breakout. I didn't see this coming at all. In fact, over the last two weeks, he is a top 20 player averaging 20 points and eight rebounds and two blocks while shooting 69%. Giggity! Uh, from the field and 71% from the line. Yeah, basically increasing every sort of statistic you can this season. His rebound rate has gone up. His steal rate has almost doubled. His block rate has almost doubled. His field goal percentage has gone higher uh, this season. His free throws have jumped by almost eight percentage points and uh, free throw attempts have jumped by 50% as well. Just huge, huge numbers uh, here for Harrell. No DeAndre Jordan around, but it's not just... It's not just the extra opportunity, and he's clearly better than Marcin Gortat and Boban Marjanovic, but it's just the improvement in his overall play this season. I was a bit skeptical, would this block rate continue? Well, it's continuing, and it's continuing to get better, it seems. The steal rate, getting to the line, hitting his free throws, it has been absolutely impressive stuff from the table Montrez Harold this season. And it should go without saying, although I will have to say it now, that he is a must-roster guy, a guy that I targeted pretty aggressively in the late rounds of drafts uh, come draft time, and it's uh, it's paying off uh, yeah, much, much in a much larger uh, capacity than I could have uh, even ever predicted, really. Never thought it would get uh, as far uh, as it has here. And there might be some element of cooling off with Harold, but at this point, it is uh, all systems go. Waiver wire line of the night. It is also the deep leaguer of the night, and uh, and that goes to a guy which I think I believe he's got it a couple of times so far this season. Mo- uh, not Montrez Harrell got Montrez Harrell on the brain. Iman Shumpert of the Sacramento Kings. Shump has been the starter pretty much all season at small forward. He played 30 minutes today with 23 points, hitting four triples, three rebounds, and getting four steals. He was nine of 18 from the field as well. So some pretty big numbers from Shumpert, who is a top 130 player this season, purely on the basis of the fact that he's getting 1.3 steals and hitting two threes per game. So sort of a, a poorer man's Justin Holiday, as weird of a sentence as that is. You would have to think that some of Shumpert's minutes are going to decrease at some point as Bogdan Bogdanovich pushes up to uh, the sort of minutes that he needs to be getting on a regular basis. But Shumpert is providing that 14-team league value, uh, maybe borderline 12-team value, but he's doing things at a significantly higher rate than we've seen him do in quite a while. The steal rate, like Harrell, is through the roof. He's shooting at a better rate than we've seen for a while. He was a a 27% three-point shooter last season in limited minutes, admittedly, but that's up to 37% this season. So Harrell taking his game to a level which I didn't expect him to get to, and getting those, uh, getting those steals, getting those three. I do think it is going to drop off from uh, from Shumpert, but more of a more of a fourteen team league player. But still, strong performances that do uh, that do require notice. That do require us uh, paying attention to them. And he is putting them up on a relatively consistent basis. It's good to see. It's good to see this guy getting back to being a, a useful player in the NBA after what looked like you know, the end of his career. I didn't even think he'd be in the rotation this season necessarily for Sacramento, but he clearly is, and he is putting up uh, you know, relatively good numbers uh, the majority of the time, especially in those two categories that we've already referenced. 
Today's show is uh, is brought to you by our good friends and great supporters of the Locked On Podcast Network, and that is my bookie. If you guys are looking for somewhere trustworthy to go and place your bets with all of your superior sports knowledge, head to my bookie, and we've got an additional bonus for you over there. If you go in and use the promo code Locked On, the fine folks at my bookie will match your deposit up to one thousand dollars. You deposit five hundred dollars, they will give you five hundred dollars. MyBookie is the place to go and bet live in-game betting. All your standard money lines, spreads, totals, player props, all that sort of stuff. And for those of you who are into fantasy, which of course is nearly everybody listening to this podcast, not everyone, because some people listen to this podcast without playing fantasy, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. So join MyBookie and use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer, which is dollar for dollar matching up to $1,000. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Let's go on to the next award. Young Gun of the Night. This is Trey Young, uh, a night where the shots didn't go in for Young, but it didn't really matter all that much because the other numbers were absolutely superb for Young, putting up putting up the big uh, the big numbers there in that uh, in that line. It was good to see after a couple of really disappointing performances from Young. He had 25 points in 37 minutes. So 37 minutes is almost the most impressive part. One three and three rebounds, but 17 assists. Wow. He was only 8 of 22 from the field and 8 of 9 from the free throw line. But getting to the line, hitting the free throws, the assist, which we talked about ad nauseum in the preseason, was going to be one of his strengths. And it is obviously uh, appearing to be that, that way at the moment, putting up some good numbers there. Those last two games from Young before this weren't ideal, or the last three actually, where he scored four, six, and nine points, but still had steals, still had assists. It's just the shots didn't fall today. They didn't fall, but they they fell at a higher rate than they had in those previous three games, but put together some big, big numbers. This is the sixth... Uh, this, uh, yeah, the sixth game of double-digit assists for Young this season, and he is averaging over eight assists to go with his 17 points. And a, a top 100 guy, and probably a top 60 guy if you're punting field goal percentage, which you knew at the time of the draft that you would uh, that you would have to uh, you know, look, look into that and uh, be considering that as a build on your team if you did happen to draft Trey Young. But yeah, really good to see him getting back on track. And I think his numbers will continue to improve now that the Baptist John Collins is back with this Atlanta Hawks team. The dud of the night goes to a rookie from last season, and that is, of course, Donovan Mitchell, who has been a massive disappointment so far this season. The Jazz got blown out by the Indiana Pacers, and Mitchell played 32 minutes for seven points. He had one rebound and one assist. He blocked a shot. He was three of eight from the field, and he was one of two from the line. He is the 62nd ranked player this season. I thought he could take a jump up into the top 30. A lot of people were looking at him as a top 15 guy. I thought that was probably a little bit aggressive. Uh, it turns out to have been supremely aggressive. Even my top 30 numbers on him seemed aggressive now. But what has happened with, with Don Mitchell this season? He's still averaging 20 points per game, but... He hasn't taken the steps forward in terms of efficiency or getting to the line necessarily, and the free throws have regressed. So last season, he got to the line 3.8 times per game, and as players get older, you hope for bigger leaps forward, so five, five and a half attempts as the number one guy on offense. Now, they've increased a bit, up to 4.4, but when your free throws drip, uh, dip down to 79, it giving, giving you about the same impact in that category, but it's the fact that instead of shooting 44% from the field and 34% from three, he is at 41 and 29% that he's numbers have dipped, but it should give you encouragement here with Mitchell. The fact that that he's shooting under 30% from three and 41% from the field should give you encouragement that a hot streak is going to come and those numbers are going to come back up and he is already averaging 20 points per game. So when we see that start to jump back up and he gets to say 32 or 33% from three and 43% from the field, then we're talking a 23 point per game scorer, which would leap, leap him back up into the top 50 and probably into the top 40 as well. So I'm not panicking here. There are a few troubling signs, and this Jazz team is uh, is in a fair bit of trouble at the moment. But I'm not all that worried about what Mitchell's going to do long-term. I think that those uh, shooting numbers will come back up. Everything else is pretty much in line with what we expected. If the shooting numbers come back up, a bit more confidence... The free throw attempts should rise uh, a little bit more as well, which will help his overall game confidence back up. Free throw percentage rises as well. So while it is bad at the moment for Mitchell and his recent numbers are far from impressive, in fact, outside the top 90 over the last two weeks is not great for the Don, but I do think that uh, some better times are going to be coming pretty soon. 
The plus minus goats, the uh, best net rating of the day went to Garrett Temple, who was an astonishing plus 146.1. That is huge. He is locked in as that starting shooting guard on the Grizzlies team, who are, I think, equal first in the Western Conference. Just some nonsense standings over in the West, while the worst net rating goes to Jamal Crawford, a negative 89.5. I don't think too many people would be surprised by that. I think he was the absolute worst player in the entire NBA last season by real plus minus. I never understood the signing by the Phoenix Suns and nothing that we've seen this season has really uh, you know, proven me wrong in, in that regard. But um, they are your net rating uh, goats of the day. Injury news. Denzel the Hammer Valentine is going to be out for the next four to six months, which ostensibly ends his season. Um, I thought that him coming back and the return of Larry Markin and Bob Portis and Chris Dunn would really impact what Justin Holiday can do. But those 22 minutes of the hammer, yeah, they're, they're there now for Holiday to take. And I think Justin Holiday sticks at a 30 plus minute per night role, making him a decent enough top 100 guy. I referenced Holiday earlier when talking about Iman Shumpert in that steals and threes guy. I think that Holiday is a must-roster 12-team league guy. Now, when Markinen returns and Portis returns and Dunn returns, then usage goes away. But Holiday's usage is like 13%. So none of his, none, nothing to do with his game is based on usage. And it's not going to drop too much lower than that. The, the concern, I guess, is that when Markinen and Portis return, that it does push Jabari Parker over to the three. But if Fred Hoiberg is just like, this guy cannot play at the three, which is apparently what he's seeing, because we're just not seeing that at all from, from Parker then it doesn't impact Holiday. He'll continue to play 35, 34 minutes a night. Maybe Chandler Hutchison steps in, but he's clearly not ready for that role. So I think we should feel relatively confident uh, about Holiday moving forward, and he is a must-roster guy. Goran Dragic still dealing with that knee issue. Looks like he's going to miss a few games here, so that does boost the value of Justice Winslow, of Tyler Johnson, as well as the Duke Wayne Ellington, but those are all fringy type of guys. Lord Alfred Payton is going to miss six weeks with that uh, finger surgery. That's bad news there, of course. Without an injured reserve slot, you need to drop Payton. Deep leagues, we saw an impressive performance from Frank Jackson. The coach talked him up. I think he's going to be in an 18 to 20-minute role. He should be ahead of Ian Clark pretty soon, so there's some deep league value for Frank Jackson. And it also boosts Etwan Moore and Drew Holiday for the Pelicans. Amari Spellman wasn't able to finish today's game with a hip injury, the Wizard. So I don't think we need to be too worried there. With the Baptist pushing forward, with the Undertaker and Alex Len both playing together somewhat in this game, there's going to be really no value for Spellman as we move forward. And then late in the late game today, Jeremy Grant left with an ankle sprain. He says that he is fine moving forward. So I don't think there's too much to worry about. He's been a fringe 12-team league guy. Now, if we hear that he's out for weeks, which I doubt it, then he's not a hold because his upside so low. But even if he misses one or two games, you're not looking at adding Patrick Patterson really in anything outside of a 16 or even 18 team league format. Let's go into these games now, break them down, the uh, nine games that we had on Monday. Try and get some uh, information out to try and help your fantasy team. The first game we take a look at was the Phoenix Suns and the Philadelphia 76ers. And great news in this one. Now, when that Ryan Anderson, Brandon Knight trade went down in the offseason, I said, great, the Suns need to commit to Devin Booker running at point guard. And a lot of people aggressively attacked him. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. He's not a point guard. He is a point guard. He absolutely is a point guard. And he started a point guard in this game. 36 minutes for Booker, 37 points with six triples and eight assists. This boosts his value and solidifies him as a top 20 guy. But... Despite this be being far and away the best starting lineup the Suns can run, far and away their best five players, Kokoshkov wouldn't commit to starting at long term. So what I think is a strength of this team is that we've got multiple lineups that we can run out there and depending on matchup. No, you don't. You don't have strong lineups at all. You have this lineup and then you have everything else. We will see if this continues, but this is the lineup they need to be running, uh, and it does boost that value. But what it does do is it means McCall Bridges is very intriguing. He stayed in the starting lineup, even with Trevor Ariza returning, and despite getting into foul trouble, Bridges still played 23 minutes, despite three fouls in the first seven minutes. 13 points with three triples and two steals. I believe McCall Bridges is a must-roster player. Isaiah Kanan moved to the bench and played 21 minutes and had one point, so he is out of contention. And Ali Okobo really should be taking that role. Or D'Anthony Melton. There is zero reason for Kanan to be the backup point guard on this team. 
Ariza had a nice full line, 10-7-5 and five with three steals and a block. He is not a 10-team league guy, and I think he's really fringe as a 12-team league guy. I would have Bridges over Ariza, no worries. Well, TJ Warren continues to be the best shooter in the NBA. 21 points, uh, another two triples on four attempts. Just continues to kill it. DeAndre Aiden got smashed by Embiid, 17-9 and nine in his 27 minutes and got into some foul trouble. Interesting uh, decision by Kokoshkov. After four minutes, he took, uh, he took him out. He took uh, eight and out of the game, and I'm not really sure why I get Rashawn Holmes in there. Um, he was getting just look. He got no, sorry, that's not true. He didn't get destroyed early on by Embiid. He did later on, so it was a curious move. Onto the Sixers, Embiid had 33 and 17 with three steals and a block. Continues to be excellent. While Jim Butler and Ben Simmons both produced, and it's great to see both of these guys putting up numbers as they get used to each other. So that's that's great there. Uh, Baby neck Wilson Chandler, 31 minutes in a start, had two points. So if you added him in 12 team leagues, please do me a favor and get rid of him. In 14 team leagues, I don't think there's much point holding on there. Mike Muscala is a better option now. The Moose played 23 minutes and had 19 and five. He's their best backup big, and realistically, he should be taking a mere Johnson out of the rotation completely. Uh, we'll see what happens with Muscala. Not going to be a standard league guy at this point, but someone who can have some interesting types of value. JJ Redick had to leave the game twice due to blood from a blood nose. Still, That's why he only played 27 minutes, so nothing to worry about there. Well, Landry Shamet had uh, two triples as a nice three-point streamer. Markel Fultz, seven minutes, and he was replaced in the second half by TJ McConnell. So, of course, it's getting really close, and I don't want to write guys off in this second season, but is Fultz just done? I don't think we're not there yet. But shit, man, it looks, uh, it feels like he definitely needs a trade at this point to do anything to be, uh, there's a whole bunch of mental stuff going on is what it appears with Fultz. And there is, of course, no way he is a 12 or 14 team league guy or probably even 16 team leaguer uh, at this point in the, uh, in proceedings. The next game is the Boston Celtics. They lost to the Charlotte Hornets, 112-117. Gordon Haywood moved to the bench. So Aaron Baines could start, but it didn't really change too much in terms of minutes. Haywood still played 31 minutes, wasn't very aggressive, only 13% usage, 4 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists. I'm not panicking with this. While Baines started, played 7 minutes, and, and got into foul trouble with Vanilla Tice, getting most of those sentiments, 10 points for Daniel in his 16 minutes. The guy you need, be, need to be worrying about is Jalen Brown. Brown actually played okay in this game, but only got 19 minutes. 10 points, 2 rebounds, and a triple one, 4 of 6 from the field. But the fact that he can't get to 30 minutes, I've said this for ages, he is not a 12-team league guy. He is uh, he's not, definitely not a 10-team league guy. He's probably a 14-team league guy at this point. Marcus Smart hit 4 triples and had 2 steals. He's starting to play a little bit better. Well, Rogier had 8, 4, and 4 with 2 steals. But both of those guys are 14 to 16-team league guys. Uh, a nice Kyrie game, 227-5 and 11. Onto the Hornets. Kemba Walker went for 43, one game after dropping 60 on the Sixers. 43-4 and 5 with seven triples. That shooting is crazy, 56%. There is going to be a drop-off with Walker, but he has been insane. While uh, Cody Zeller, 7 and 8 and a triple one. And Bill Hernan Gomez had 14-3 and 3. I think both Hernan Gomez and Zeller are outside of the realms of standard leagues. Nick Batum, the shooting, yeah, still not there, but nine points with eight rebounds in 36 minutes. I still believe that he is a 12-team league guy, and I would add him if he gets dropped pretty comfortably. Well, Jeremy Lamb suffered from the line going four of six, but still had 18 points and six rebounds with no other stats. It's telling that he played 28 minutes and Malik Monk played eight minutes. So Lamb is that 12-team league guy, and Monk has faded away pretty considerably, while Miles Bridges had a triple one with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist out. But I don't really see Bridges becoming much of a 12 12-team league guy. He is not the same level of fantasy player that McCall Bridges is. So just don't get those two guys confused. McCall is the guy you want, not Miles. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons win 113-102. The Padawan Colin Sexton played 24 minutes. He hurt his hip early on in this game, so that limited him, but still had 18 points with four assists, and the efficiency was nice. It's always good when you can get a steal and four assists out of Sexton. I don't think that he's giving up that starting position to George Hill when he gets back. So so Sexton should be a 12-team league guy. While Tristan Thompson had 10-7. and seven, But that run of him being this you know 12-team league player, I don't think it's there with Thompson. It was fueled by a very high field goal percentage and rebound numbers. And they have dipped a little bit. Larry Nance remains starting even with Chetty Osman back in the mix, but only 20 minutes for Nance and didn't really play any of that backup center role because Ante Zizic got the 18 minutes there behind Tristan Thompson. So Nance, who was playing exclusively as a center to start the season, now that he's starting at power forward, is exclusively a power forward. 
No idea what Larry Drew is doing in that scenario. I'm still holding Nance for one more game, but if it's him starting and playing 19 minutes, then there's no point. As for Osman, 30 minutes, 10 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. Many of you won't really care about Osman. You'll be, oh man, this guy's shit house. His shooting is way off. I'm, I'm still holding out hope that he is a 12-team league guy, but it's probably going to be in field goal punt scenarios. Well, J.R. Smith played six minutes. It's so weird that you see these coaches try things and you go, this isn't going to work. And then we wait till you know, we're 20 games into the season and then you see, ah, oh, what we actually thought early on is the case. The same thing happened with Montrez Harrell when we saw him getting limited at the start so that Boban and Gortat could play minutes and it never made sense. Same as playing J.R. Smith minutes over these other guys. It never made sense and he is back to uh, out of the rotation almost. Jordy Clarkson had 16 points and Rocket Rodney Hood had 12. They are fringe 12-team league guys. Clarkson's probably a guy you have at the moment while Hill remains out. For the Pistons, Griffin and Drummond were great. Both had 20 points and over 10 rebounds. While Reggie Jackson, just the 22 minutes due to foul trouble, 13-3-4. and four. Ish Smith also got into foul trouble, but his minutes have been well down lately. And any sort of stretch of him being a 12-team league guy is done. Reggie Bullock had 21 points in his 31 minutes. It comes on high efficiency, as it always does when Bullock has a big game. He's fine to stream in and try, but the consistency and the overall production is just never there. So I think he's more of a 14-team league player, while Stan Johnson was okay, but we're looking at 16-team league type production for Stan on the on the regular. The Utah Jazz got blown out by the Pacers, but ravishing Rick Rubio, 28-4-6, three steals, five triples, and a block, 77% shooting. The shooting was way off, and normally he turns it around in February, February, February that's the word, or March, but he has been yes, solid now. He's a top 70 player on the season, top 50 over the last two weeks, shooting 45 and 38 from the field and from three-point land. The assists are never going to go back up, I don't think, while he remains in Utah, but the steals, um, the threes, the scoring, it's all pretty nice at this point with uh with the ravishing one. Jay Crowder had 14-5 and 4. He is a fringe guy, but otherwise this game was just a blowout. So very little to read into some of those performances. Onto the paces, Miles Turner had a, an ankle injury, but still 12-6 and 4 with three blocks is good. You're not dropping him, but he's not getting you top 30 value. We're all aware of that now. Well DeMontis Sabonis narrowly missed a missed a triple double. 19-9 and 9, two steals and two threes. He has been a surprise packet this season. While Boyan Bogdanovich's hot streak continued. 21 points on 14 shots. Not a lot else. Two rebounds, one assist, and two steals for Boyan. He's fine for now to have. But at some point, he's going to go cold and have 12 points with no other numbers, and then that's when you can get rid of him. There was no Victor Oladipo in this game, so Tyreek Evans started and had 8-3-5. and five. So, yeah, he was worth looking at while Oladipo was out. I think if there's someone else that you want to grab out there, you should consider you know, doing that over Tyreek. It just doesn't feel like he's going to get it going. Well, Aaron Holiday, in his best NBA performance, 19 points in 21 minutes, 7 rebounds, 7 of 10 shooting. He will go likely back out of the rotation once Oladipo returns. But a strong performance from Aaron Holiday in that extended role without uh, without Vic around. The Clippers and the Hawks. No rooster in this game. He was 6, so no no ass muscle got torn, so that's okay. Toby Harris had 24-8 and eight with 2 blocks. While uh, no Luke Marmute meant prison Mike Scott played 28 minutes, had 18-7 and seven with 6 triples of steal and a block. Of course, without Gallinari and Marmute, it pushed Scott into a larger role, which will fade away back into that 15-minute-a-night role. So nothing to really look at there. Avery Bradley returned straight back into the starting lineup, replacing Gallinari, played 20 minutes and had 5 points. So nothing to be worried about there. I don't think he's taking anything away from Shea Gildas-Alexander, who bounced back after a couple of poor performances. 16-2-1 with a steal and a block. I would drop Tyreek for Shea if that is an option in my league. Lou Williams was great, 16-7-11, and 11, apart from the 27% shooting, but his free throw percentage are always, is always awesome. While Pat Beverly had some foul trouble, four points in 19 minutes. So did Bradley, to be fair to him. I think both of those guys aren't really 12-team league players anymore. On to the Hawks, the Baptist, only 21 minutes for John Collins, 18-3-6, 7-10 shooting. Surely he is not on any waiver-wise anywhere. He is going to push for top 50 value this season, while the artist formerly known as Torian Prince Forget about the Achilles issue. He's fine. 21 points, 4 rebounds, and 2 steals, while The Undertaker, Dwayne Dedman. Thirteen and twelve for Deadman, two blocks and a steal in that as well. It's getting close to saying that he is a must-grab twelve-team league guy. He's probably fringy there because I think that Len is still going to put a bit of a cap on what he can do. 
but he is the superior guy there. Now, Lynn was great in his own on his own right, uh, 12 and 12 with two blocks, but he's more of a deeper league guy. Well, Kent Bazemore, only 26 minutes, some foul issues, 4.8 rebounds and two blocks. We're still holding Bays, but at some point, his value is going to disappear. Jeremy Lynn, who'd been great recently, wasn't in this one. 13 minutes, seven points. A lot of that was how well Trey Young played. I'd like to see them play more together. But Lynn was that fringe guy that uh, you, know, you can move on if, if you need to there. Kevin Huerta back to a limited role with uh, with Torian Prince back in action. Let's go on to the next game. We're looking at the San Antonio Spurs and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Sad to say that Derek White remained on the bench, played 13 minutes. It was a, a weird run. Two points, two rebounds, and three assists for White. So the production's there. And I still think that at some point this season, Derek White is going to be a fantasy viable player. For now, unless you're just absolutely cruising and have bench space to stash, I think you move on from Derek White. I am I am convinced that he will get back that value at some point, but for now, it's not happening. Dante Cunningham, in the uh, revenge game of all revenge games, had 19 points on a perfect 7 of 7 shooting with 5 triples and 7 rebounds. That probably almost equals his entire season production cumulatively added into one game. Do not do anything to add him here. While Bryn Forbes had 20 points with 5 triples, and this is the perfect illustration of Bryn Forbes. 20 points looks great. 5 threes looks great. One rebound, one assist, and one steal, and it came on seven of eight shooting. So when that shooting drops back off, he doesn't give you enough. He's a points and threes streamer, and that is it. Not a 12-team league guy in the slightest. DeRozan had 21, 6, and 5, while Rudy Gay had 17 and 6. Gay is only rostered in 66% of Yahoo leagues, and he needs to be rostered in all 12-team leagues. While LaMarcus Aldridge, the hot shooting from last game, it didn't last. Seven points on 11 shots with 10 rebounds. He is way, way off this season, and uh, I'm still maintaining that my uh, my petulance excuse or reasoning is uh, the reason. We'll see. The Pelicans, Davis, 29-9 and nine with two steals and two blocks, while Julius Randle triple-doubled in 25 minutes off the bench. 21, 14, and 10. That's great. Drew Holiday, 21, 4, and 9, has been unbelievable this season again. Well, Etwan Moore had another one of those hot shooting nights. Just the 30 minutes for Moore, but 24 points on 69% shooting. Giggity! Added four assists and a steal. He has been mighty impressive this season. Yeah, up and down at times, just barely outside the top 100 for the season because he is shooting 57% from the field, which is far and away his largest category, which makes me say, that's why I say he is not necessarily a must-roster guy, because when your Z score for that category is 1.5 and your next highest contribution is 3s at 0.3, he is not going to continue. Actually, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if he was continuing to shoot 57% for the season, including 60% from his threes, uh, from his 2s and 49% from his 3s. So you drop that down to even last year's numbers, then that value evaporates pretty bloody quickly, and then he goes back to being that 12, the 13th man on your 12-team roster or a 14-team league guy. So write it out now. Just be aware that uh, there is going to be some drop-off coming. Talked about Frank Jackson earlier as well, 12 points in his 24 minutes, eclipsing uh, Tim Frazier, which he always should have, and now ahead of Ian Clark, it appears as well. The next game we take a look at is the Dallas Mavericks and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies with the 98-88 win. No Wes Matthews, no J.J. Barea, no Dwight Powell. So some increased minutes for someone like Dennis Smith, who'd been cutting his minutes in half with J.J. Barea, or splitting the minutes equally. 19-3-5 for Smith in 31, so that's great. I still think he's a 12-team league guy. DeAndre had 17-20, and 20, while Luka Doncic didn't shoot the ball well, but still ended with 15-10, and 10, and Dorian Finney-Smith filling in for Wes had 13 with three triples and two steals. And I think you're going to see Finney-Smith's minutes increase as the season goes on. It was an absolute stinker from the pencil, Harrison Barnes, who had 10 points on 14 shots and had just one rebound and one assist. I was really concerned about Barnes heading into this season. Didn't Doesn't provide much other than points. He was going to lose usage to both DeAndre and to Doncic. He was going to lose rebounds to DeAndre as well. And it's panning out that way. Now, I'm not saying that he is a... I don't think he's a 10-team league. I think you can drop Harrison Barnes in 10-team leagues personally. In 12-team leagues, he's really quite borderline in terms of what you what you do with him. Um, but I think we're going to get to a stage this season, much like the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, that uh, they're not really must-roster 12-team league guys. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. 
For the Grizzlies, Conley was great, 28-5-7, one of the best steals in drafts, while uh, Marcus Sol was 17-15 and 15 with four blocks. But Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., people were, li- I was going to say literally, maybe they were figuratively shitting themselves. Oh man, only 18 minutes because Jermichael Green came back, and I did offer... Maybe it was a tepid rebuke of that on, I think, yesterday's show talking about that. That's fine, but he had that early foul trouble. And even in that game, Green only played 21 minutes. So it wasn't Jermichael Green coming in and taking all of those power forward minutes. Green played only 15 here, and Jackson played 36. Had 13 and 3 with two steals and four blocks. He is a must-roster guy in every league. Must-roster. I think Kyle Anderson's getting pretty close to a must-roster guy. Actually, I think he is in 12-team leagues, especially rotisserie. Eight points, four rebounds, five assists, two steals, two blocks. Contributes right across the board. This is San Antonio Kyle Anderson. He is feeling much more comfortable here. He's a top 100 player over the last week, a top 80 player. uh, Sorry, uh, top 100 over the last two weeks, top 80 player over the last week, despite averaging five points, because he's a positive contributor in assists, steals, blocks, field goal percentage, neutral in free throws, and neutral in rebounds, which is a pretty strong uh, guy, and it, it goes a little bit under the under the radar because of the low scoring. Shelvin Mack dropped right off, and I think we're going to see that start to continue. He'd been providing good numbers, but I don't think it's going to last. Well, Garrett Temple had 12, 2, and 5. Didn't miss a shot in his 33 minutes, but more of that 14-team league player than a 12-teamer. The Denver Nuggets choked away a lead to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks in their Mecca uniforms, which look pretty sexy. 98 Nuggets, 104 Milwaukee. The Blue Arrows, 17, 8, and 9, while Nikola Jokic had 25 and 5, while Monty Morris dropped off a bit. 10, 3, and 4 in 25 minutes. And that's going to be the problem with Morris. There's him, there's Malik Beasley, there's Wancho and Gomez, there's Trey Lyles. And Malone's going to mix and match depending on what's going on. So it's hard to consider any of those guys must-roster players. Now, Morris's ability to get assists, another 4 here, makes him useful for 12 teams. And I'd have him ahead of Wancho and Lyles and Beasley, but it's not going to be consistency. Beasley was the guy today, 12 points with four triples, while Gaz Harris had 14 points with six assists, and Paulie Millsap had eight and nine. And one show after two strong games in a row, fizzled. Six points with seven rebounds in his 29 minutes, more just a 14 or more more accurately 16-team league player. On to the Milwaukee Bucks, Yanni Yatsidokumpo had 29, 12, and six with two steals, but Shit the bet on the free throws again. You have, you pretty much are punting free throws now if you do have Antetokounmpo. While Brook Lopez pulled down 10 boards, that's amazing, had three blocks and two triples. Middleton was good across the board, while Eric Bledsoe, 23-5-5 and with three steals and three triples. Now, his free throws have been disappointing this season. He's an 80% guy who's down at 70 this season. I have confidence that's going to bring back up. But when I talked about him... And people were, you know, some people were considering dropping him, man. He's done. He's never getting it back. Oh, so low usage. He just sits in the corner. That's not really what Bledsoe's game is about. And his usage is down this season. But he is still a top 40 player this season, a top 30 player over the last seven games because the steals are back. Two, two per game, 14 steals over his last seven games, uh, 2.7 steals per game over the last three games, getting you six assists. 17, 18 points with two triples, and the field goal percentage is up 55% over his last seven games, which will probably come back down, but starting to get it back together. And you got him at 45 or 50 around that zone. He's already exceeded that. So those early panics that people were having about Eric Bledsoe, I think you should be feeling a little bit more relaxed about that now. Um, Malcolm Brogdon with a solid 13, 8, and 3 as well. Strong for 12-team formats. The last game of the night, the Oklahoma City Thunder lost to the Sacramento Kings, 117-113. Russell Westbrook returned, 37 minutes, 29-13-7 and with three steals and four triples. He, along with any Minnesota player, are the only guys who ever come back without any minutes restrictions. Great to have him back if you rostered him. Well, MC Hamadou Diallo. Stop. Have a time. He got the start with Terrence Ferguson and ended up being Alex Abrines out. 18 points for MC Hammer, didn't miss a shot, so that's a little bit fluky with two steals there, while Paulie George continued the great production without Russ, 27-9-3. But of course, Dennis Schroeder, six points on 17 shots, five rebounds and five assists. He's worth holding for now, but I'd give it two or three games and see who else is around. There's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some significant drops in value for Schroeder. Jeremy Grant, before leaving, had a bit of a stink, and this is what I talk about with him. He is low upside. He's relatively consistent most of the time, but he is low upside, while Steve Adams had 11 and 15. For the Kings, De'Aaron Fox did not have a good game. Six points on one of 10 shooting, but at least supplemented that with 13 assists. 
Uh, Harry Giles racked up a ton of fouls, while Will Cauley-Stein had 9 and 14. And Bogdan Bogdanovic, he is a must-roster player. 16, 5, and 3, and I think you've got to add Bagley in 12-teamers now. 26 minutes, 15, and 13 with three blocks for Bagley, while Bielitsa had 12 and 8. I think we're okay to move on from Bielitsa now. It's going to trend more towards Bagley as the season goes on. Um, they're both going to be sort of fringe 12-team type guys, but I'd be adding Bagley over Bielitsa, while Budrick Heald had 25-4-2 with five triples. And see, there is still room for Heald to be good and get minutes with Bogdanovich back, which a lot of people uh, were doubting. I think we're going to see Bagley push up uh, with this team now after that recent Yahoo report came out about the uh, concerns with the front office and playing these guys with big minutes for uh, Bagley at the last two games. Coincidence? I'm going to say no. All right, guys, let's take a look at the top 20 players over the last two weeks, eight category value per game basis. As usual, just discussing what these guys are doing, you know, what they're, if they're sustainable, if there's drops, all that sort of stuff, and what's pushing them into that top 20 uh, zone. The number one guy is the clear anomaly. You could say it uh, sticks out like dog's balls, and that is George Hill as the number one player over the last two weeks. But of course, bear it in mind, he played one game, and in that game, he was great. He had 22, 4, and 6 with four steals and shot uh, 10 of 12 from the field. Uh, and then sprained his shoulder and has been out for the last couple of weeks. So nothing really to see there with Hill. It shows that I guess he can still do that on occasion, but of course we should be having very little trust in that. And I'd be highly doubtful that he gets his starting job back once he returns from this shoulder injury. The more indicative thing is the guy at number two. He was number one when we did this last week, and that is Kyrie Irving, who over the last six games is averaging almost 29 points with five rebounds and six assists, but is also giving you three steals and shooting 56 and 83% including 47% from three. After a really slow start to the season, Irving has ramped it up, and he should settle in as that second-round player for the rest of the year. The next guy, number three, Paul George, has been remarkable without Russell Westbrook, averaging 26 points with nine rebounds and five assists and 2.7 steals, and the shooting has improved as well, up to 44% from the field, including 39% from three, of course. Those five assists and even the nine rebounds that he's averaging once Russell Westbrook returns, which could be today, will likely take a hit. Now, I doubt you'd be able to sell Paul George as a top five player or a top 10 guy, but if you could, I would take that deal. But I think that George can settle in around that 10 to 15 sort of zone for the rest of the season. After being a bit down the list last week, Anthony Davis has rocketed back up on the strength of two back-to-back 40 games. He is the fourth-ranked player, averaging 31-13 and 13 with five assists. And I talked with Jake Madison yesterday on Locked On NBA about why have we why have we seen a big spike in Anthony Davis's assists. Last season, he had just seven games where he had five assists or more. This season, he has had eight of those games already. And, and Jake said it was just a, a real change in his game, passing out of the double teams that invariably come his way, and the vision and he's made more of a, of an effort to be more of a playmaker. So there's no reason why the elevated assists can't stick for Anthony Davis. His shooting is also down as well, so there is room for improvement there. Jimmy Harden is the fifth-ranked guy over the last two weeks, averaging 28, 5, and 6.5 and with 2.5 steals. Just more of the same from Harden. And at number six comes in LeBron James, who has been fantastic. Just dropped 51 against the Heat yesterday. 32 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists. And incredibly, he is averaging 4 triples per game with a steal and 1.2 blocks and shooting 55 from the field. He's going to keep in that top 10 range, you would think, for this season. I guess the real bright spot here is Carl Anthony Towns at number seven. We know the slow start with General Soreness in town, but Jimmy Butler is gone now, and Towns is uh, cranking it back up. 22 and 15 with two assists, a steal, and two blocks. And the one of the things that was really holding him back to begin this season was the low efficiency, but he is up to 53% over those last seven games and 96 from the line, including 44% from three. And with only 1.9 assists, there's scope for him to actually improve that as well. And a usage of just 26%, that could, uh, that could go up also. So Towns, I think he's going to push into that top three or top four for the rest of the year. Number eight is Kemba Walker, who in the last five games is averaging 30 points, including that 60-pointer against Philadelphia. He is playing 39 minutes to get there, but seven assists is a huge number for him, as is the two steals. This is a perfect sell-high type situation for Kemba Walker because, A, the scoring won't continue at that level. He'll still get his shots, of course, but he's unlikely to average 30 points per game. But more, more unlikely is him averaging five rebounds, seven assists, and two steals. So all of those things could drop, which would push him back to the back end of the teens in that 
you know, 17 to 18, maybe 24, 25 if the scoring does drop two or three spots. Number nine is Joel Embiid. Seven games, 27 points and 13 rebounds, blocking shots, getting assists. The efficiency is still not great, only 41% from the field. But Embiid, this is about where he should be the rest of the season. And number 10, a bit of a surprise player, Nick Vucevic in the last eight games has averaged 23 and 11 with three assists, a steal and a block, and his efficiency is sky high, 56 and 87, a guy whose field goal percentage took a little bit of a dip last season as he started stretching out more to three. But that hasn't been a problem this season as he has been able to up his two-point percentages. He's hitting over 40% of his threes over these last eight games, and Clifford is giving him more minutes than he's seen really at any point in his his career. Now, trade could really, really gum up the works, but with the Magic currently in the playoff picture, if they're in that spot come February in the 7th, 8th, ninth seed, they won't be selling Vooch. They'll ride it out and they'll hope to push for a playoff spot. It's been a long time between drinks for the Magic organization and their fans. If they're in a position to push towards the playoffs, then they will do it and that will keep Vucevic's value, if not this high, but pretty bloody close because the minutes will continue to be uh, really, really exciting. Number 11 is Yanni Adetokounmpo, 25, 11, and 5. The 1.7 steals and 1.7 blocks are great. You know, the big thing dragging him down there is the free throw percentage, 64% on over 8 attempts per game. That is the biggest negative Z score of anybody in the top 12. The next closest there is Harden's field goal percentage. Uh, so it's a big uh, it's a big thing to try and overcome is Giannis's free throw percentage. Number 12 is Kevin Durant, who has struggled without Steph Curry. 20% from 3 over his last eight games, still averaging 26, 6, and 6 with a steal and a block, but just cannot hit threes at this point. Number 13 is Drew Holiday, averaging 21 and 11 with Alfred Payton on the shelf for uh, an additional six weeks with that finger surgery. Drew's going to be getting these big assist numbers. The efficiency hasn't really hurt, 48% from the field, but weirdly, he is only shooting 71%. So averaging 20 and 11 with five rebounds, one and a half steals, and a block, that could go up if that free throw percentage comes. So I'd expect Drew to hover around this sphere 15 type zone for the next few weeks at least. Number 14 is Chris Paul after that really rocky start with his shooting. He's back in business. 16, 4, and 7. The assists are still down, but they're not too far away from what he did last season. Steals are through the roof, and the efficiency back up 48% from the field, but still not hitting his free throws. Only 76%. That needs to go up. Number 15 is Nick Jokic. 17, 11, and 6 with a 3, 1.7 steals and 0.6 blocks. 52 and 77 is his percentages. And there's a clear uh, room for improvement here with Jokic. He can average 20 points. He can get you 84% from the line. He can get you a block per game. So while he is currently sitting 15th, this is far from his ceiling. Marcus Gasol has been ridiculous. 19 and 10 with four assists over a block, over a steal, over two threes, and doing it efficient, efficiently. His field goal percentage last season was atrocious, but in these last seven games, he's shooting 51%. The Grizzlies are in a top four seed in the Western Conference. They are not going to be trading Conley or Gasol anytime soon. Number 17, probably the biggest surprise out of the entire top 20, Tony Warren Jr. for the Phoenix Suns. 35 minutes a game, averaging 21 points and doing it on 52% shooting. But the big surprise is 2.2 triples on 46% shooting, 5 rebounds, adding a block per game, which is high, and 1.5 steals. He's never been a guy to get steals or blocks or rebounds or assists. In fact, he's averaging 0.8 assists over this time. But that legendary efficiency being translated to the three-point line, as well as his free throws going sky high, 95% over the last two weeks, is elevated Warren here. He is a clear must-roster guy, even if there are some signs of things that look like they will regress. Number 18 is Andre Drummond, 21-18 and 18 over the last two weeks. He's obviously ridiculous. 1.6 steals and 1.8 blocks. The free throws are troublesome, 48% on almost six attempts. That's back to the bad old Andre Drummond days, which is a concern for a guy that was you know, pushing 70% four times during last season. Uh, but the high blocks are nice. The high field goal percentage is nice, which is something which has been lacking from Drummond's game in the past. But those free throws are a concern. He's down at just 55% this season, you know, back into that really aggressive punt type ter- territory. Number 19 is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. Two Magic players in the top 20. What a time to be alive. 19.5 points with seven rebounds. And impressively here from Gordo is the four assists. Now, he's never going to be a big steals and blocks guy. 1.1 steals and 0.7 blocks. But 
If you're going to shoot 55% from the field, including 45% from three, I'll take it. But with Gordon, we saw this last season, he has not shown any ability to maintain efficient shooting for periods of longer than, say, two or three weeks at a time. So while he's kicking ass at the moment and hitting those shots... Does he go back to being that sub-30% three-point shooter that we've seen through every year of his career uh, so far, all four years? And that is a concern if that efficiency, which is really bringing his value up. In fact, his highest value fantasy category for these last two weeks is his field goal percentage, and it's double the impact of the next category, which is his points. And that should give you some element of concern that if that dips back down to 46 or 47%, then he tumbles 30, 25, 30, 35 spots in the rankings. Number 20 is Chris Middleton, averaging 25.7 and 5 with a steal, shooting 50 and 94, really good efficiency numbers. Now, he is an efficient player, so it's not too much of a surprise. Uh, only the one steal there, which is something he can improve upon as well. But this is you know, not far off what we should be looking at Middleton doing for the rest of the season. So strong performances from him. The, the next five players just out, Bob Covington, Pascal Siakam, Dennis Schroeder, Brooke Lopez, and Derek Rose. That rounds out your top 25 for the last two weeks. Guys, see ya. All right, let's... Uh, Let's move in now and uh, and talk some DFS action. We'll go and talk the uh, perfect lineups over on DraftKings to start things off. Ravishing Rick Rubio, 50.5. Devin Booker, 54.75. Prison Mike Scott, 34.75. And Julius Randle had 60. The table had 53.25. And Trey Young, 53.25. And DeMontis Sabonis, 46.75. And Mick Conley, 50.75 for a total of 404. That cost the full 50,000 clip. On Fangel, Ravishing Rick had 49.8 and Westbrook had 58.6. Devin Booker, 50.6. And Iman Shumpert, 38.6. Ariza, 36.9. Dante Cunningham, 30.9. That's a, that's a, what a punt trio that is. Shumpert, Ariza, and Cunningham. Sabonis, 45.3. The table, Montrez Harrell, 56.7. And Julius Randle, 55.8 for a total of 423.2. And that cost $59,400 dues. Let's talk these games now for Tuesday. There's just a four-game slate, and we're going to be focusing on it more from a fan duel perspective. The first one we look at is the Toronto Raptors and the Orlando Magic. The Raptors are favored by six, and the total is almost a Richie Benno, 222.5. The Magic, as things currently stand, are in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, as wild as that is. And there's quite a few th- situations we need to pay attention to here. It is the first game of the back-to-back for the Raptors. I imagine that uh, the fun guy, Kawhi Leonard, plays. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> mainly because he sat out their last game against the Bulls, but they play again on Wednesday, so he's likely to miss one of those. Kyle Lowry is dealing with an ankle problem, but he looks like he'll be ready to go, while the Jedi, Oji Ananobi. Hello there. He is dealing with that wrist problem and CJ Miles with his groin issue. So quite a few injury issues there. Of course, if you have you know, Leonard and Miles and Ananobi all out, then Pascal Siakam's going to get some big minutes. You're going to have an uh, increase in value for guys like Freddie Van Vliet and DeLon Wright, depending on who's out. But you can check all these situations out over on Basketball Monster with our what-if scenarios and check how the projections would change depending on which combination of players happens to be silent. But I do imagine that uh, Kawhi is going to play in this one. Point guards, DJ Augustin's at 4,700. He's been around that 24 mark, which is okay. Upside is pretty limited for Deej, I think, but he can be an okay cash type of a guy. Lowry at 8,100. The Magic, yeah, the Magic are playing well. The Magic have got victories over the Spurs, the Celtics, and the Sixers this season. Some pretty impressive stuff from them so far. So if they were able to get close to the Raptors, I wouldn't be completely surprised. I'd be a little bit surprised. Um, Lowry at 8,100 hasn't been at that level since the start of the season. So I think that's probably fade territory while Freddie Van Vliet at 45. If Lowry is out, I would love throwing Van Vliet in. So he could be that tournament type of guy. The shooting guards, Fournier's at 6,600. I think he's a pretty strong 30 point candidate, which makes him decent enough for cash while Dan Green's at 48, only ever tournaments for Greeno, while Terry Ross at 4,500. The, the production has dipped. He's more valuable in category leagues versus our DFS type formats because of his lack of production in other areas. Johnny Isaac's at 5,100. He dropped 34 last game. In the only game he's played against the Raptors, he had 34 points uh, in his career. So I think at 5,100, he is a GPP guy. His ability to get steals and blocks in large bunches really suits the FanDuel format pretty well. 
As for Leonard at $10,000, well, if he plays, I think at $10,000, he is a great option, but we just don't know if he's going to be in the lineup. Or Johnny Simmons at $39 is not really doing it for me, nor is the Jedi. Although, if Kawhi is out and Ananobi is in, then I would take Ananobi at 4100 because his offensive uh, push-forwards have been uh, really, really nice recently. At power forward, as Gordon's at 7900 he's giving you nice numbers, but not $7,900 worth a lot of the times. 37-point uh, average over his last five, and despite starting red-hot against the Knicks, only ended with 34 points in that game. He's okay with a decent enough floor, while Serge Ibaka... At 6,700, I would imagine that he starts and plays the bulk of the minutes against Nikola Vucevic, and I think he can be a 35 to 40 point guy here, a pretty a pretty decent option. Siakam's at 6,900. The last couple of games have seen his numbers reduced, but if any of Kawhi or Miles or Ananobi are out, and especially if two of those guys are out, then uh, Siakam becomes a very, very strong option. Valanchunas at 5,300 has done okay in the past here, but I'm just not sure the minutes are going to be high enough. While uh, Mo Bamba at 36 is not really in play, but Nick Vucevic is, who's getting 50 a night over the last three, 54 points to be exactly over his last three games, getting close to triple doubles, big minutes. I think that Vuce at 9,500 is a pretty strong option. Maybe the blowout risk is a concern, but his minutes have been sky high. And with the way the Magic are playing at home, I feel a level of confidence in Vucevic that I didn't think I'd be playing. And for those of you in seasonal leagues who are listening to this, I'm starting to think more and more as the day goes by that Vooch won't get traded this season. I think that's a that's a real possibility that they end up hanging on to him and he maintains some pretty strong value. And I mentioned that, I believe, um, uh, in my uh, in my video earlier about the top 20 players, which if I listened to this on audio, you would have just heard me insert that little part. On DraftKings, I like Isaac and Fournier. I like DJ Augustin, Aaron Gordon, and Vooch. I think all of those guys have cash and tournament values. And the 6,000 for Serge Barker is pretty strong as well. So most of the, the plays are pretty similar across both sites. The LA Clippers and the Washington Wizards, lots of reports out of the Wizards about this team fighting each other. John Wall you know, cursing people out. Bradley Beal saying he's had to put up with this shit for seven years. This is just a completely combustible situation. You know, everyone's apparently available for trade. If anyone is going to get traded on this team, I think it's going to be Otto Porter. I cannot see John Wall getting moved. That contract is is crazy. Beal or Porter would be the two guys. So just a quick diversion into standard league stuff. Beal and Wall, no matter where they go, in my opinion, are going to maintain the same level of value. Porter's value really can only go up depending on, you know, maybe there's a couple of situations where it wouldn't, but the way he's being utilized in Washington, his value can only go up if he gets traded. The Wizards are, in fact, favored by one here. I guess a large portion of that is the fact that the Clippers are on the road on a back-to-back, but the Clippers are far and away the superior team. The total is 230 points. We don't know if Mamute or the Rooster are going to play, plus Dwight Howard's ass pain is back, and he is questionable. You'd have to think that Dwight is likely to play in this one, though. At point guard, Paddy Beverly's at 4,800. Really just a tournament guy, but nothing super interesting there. While Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 58 is too high. Johnny Wall at 98, I'm okay with it. He is putting up numbers at a decent enough clip. He's got a pretty good record against the Clippers, 47 over the last three. Maybe he comes out motivated after all this talk and him cursing people out. Or as you people in America like to call it, cussing people out, which is a word I've never said in my life out loud and it felt really awkward coming out of my mouth. I think Wall at 9,800 is uh, is pretty okay to use. At shooting guard, Brattles Beals at 8,200 has been a little bit down, averaging just 32 over the last five. I don't feel super confident about him here. If the Rooster plays at 6,700, I think he'll have low roster percentage and will be really useful at that salary. While Otto Porter, 5,800 is just too high considering how they're misusing him. Kelly Oubre's at 5,000. He is just a tournament guy. He's too streaky and too fluky for me to rely upon. For the power forwards, Toby Harris at 82, as rock solid as it gets. His lowest score over his last five is 36, and that is the sort of floor that you are thriving for. You are you are just absolutely um, pulsating to get that sort of a floor in a cash game scenario. The table, Montrez Harrell at 7,500, just kicking everybody's ass. Pretty hard to go past him, to be honest, so I don't think you should. Uh, Markeith Morris at 44 is a fade quite clearly because he's been terrible. Howard at 6,700. If Dwight plays, I think 6,700 for him is pretty good up against uh, Gortat. And and as for Marchin, if you want to believe in revenge games, we know that there are issues with him and this franchise. I think that Marchin at 3,700 would make an interesting tournament guy just because that salary is so low. Uh, He could also get ejected in the first five minutes after he smacks John Waller upside the head. 
that's a risk as well. That's why I'd only look at him as a tournament player. On DraftKings, Gallinari, Porter, and Harris. I love that 5,100 for Otto Porter. I think that's really strong. Uh, Gildas Alexander at 5,000 is more of a tournament guy. Uh, and Beal at 78 and Howard at 62. Probably still more tournament players there. Harold at 6,600 looks pretty uh, looks pretty appealing as well. So I'm, uh, I'm in on the table over on DraftKings. The next game we look at, the Brooklyn Nets and the Miami Heat. Um... Some uh, interesting numbers here from uh, from Terry at Player Line Pro. Hassan Whiteside has a two percent usage bump and an extra two points per game in his games against Brooklyn. Add that to the fact that centers against the Nets have been going off. I think this is a really really good spot for Hassan Whiteside. Now Goran Dragic is out with his knee injury. We don't know if Dwayne Wade's going to be back. It looks like he's out. He's listed as out, so we, we're assuming that he won't play in this one as well. Um, the point guards, we're looking at Spencer Dinwiddie at 6,300. Don't mind that at all for him. Tyler Johnson at 56, who with those absences of Dragic and Wade, I think he's actually a pretty good cash play on Fangio also. And then uh, for the shooting guards, I like D'Angelo Russell at 73. Uh, he's been putting up some really good numbers, almost dropped 50 last game and averaging 37 over his last five on Fangio. And I think he's a little bit underpriced. The Duke, Wayne Ellington's at 4,200. He can get hot. It's still just tournaments for me, though, while Scooter Magruder at 49. This is an opportunity for him, but I do think there are better options out there than uh, what he can provide. At small forward, Joshy Richardson's at 7,700. I-, I like that. That's cash for me. Well, Justice Winslow should get an opportunity at point guard with Dragic out, and that's the opportunity for him to get to 30 minutes, especially with Josh, uh, Josh with James Johnson around. I actually like Winslow here, despite him underperforming recently. Damari Carroll, Alan, Alan Crabb, Jumpin' Joe Harris, none of those guys have any sort of consistency in their floor. Harris maybe for tournaments, but that's really about it. I don't think you can go with Rondé or James Johnson or Ed Davis as power forwards or Kelly Olenek. I think all of those guys are fades, but the centers are strong. Hassan Whiteside at 8,600. He's averaging 39 the last three times against Brooklyn, while Jared Allen is coming off a 42-point performance of his own at 6,600, depending on if you need to save that salary. If you need that 2,000 saving, use Allen. If you don't, use Whiteside because he will produce most likely uh, more points than what Jared will. The uh, DraftKings situation, Crab at 3,800 is an upside tournament guy that I like. I like Whiteside, Winslow, Dinwiddie, Allen, Richardson, and Russell as cash game value plays on DraftKings, especially Whiteside and Dinwiddie over there. The last game of the night, we're looking at the Portland Trailblazers taking on the New York Knicks. The Blazers are 7.5-point favorites, and the total is 221.5. The Blazers are the number one seed in the Western Conference at the moment. Uh, in terms of some research numbers, Ennis Cantor in his 20 games versus the Blazers has a two-point-per-game bump over his average as well. So that's worth paying attention to, although with Fisdale's rotations, literally nobody knows what's going to happen with the Knicks on a daily basis. The point guard scenario, Damian Lillard is at 9,600. He should be good for 45 to 50 here pretty comfortably. I like him for cash. Manny Moutier is at 42, more of a tournament guy. 27, 20 minutes, 22 minutes. Who knows what Fisdale's going to do? While Trey Burke has had two strong ones in a row. He's at 4,900. It's a big salary bump of $1,300. I do think that he is a strong tournament guy on Fangio. But for cash, again, trusting these Knicks guys is pretty impossible with how Fisdale runs things. Alonzo Trier, will he start? I've got no idea. He started last game, didn't start the second half. He played 13 minutes in that game and played almost 30 the game before. Only for tournaments, really. Well, Timmy Hardaway, the only consistent Knicks player, I think he's fine for 40. Yeah, that's a solid enough cash play, but there are better guys out there at that position. CJ McCollum, for instance, instance, at 6,700, I would rather take him over Tim Hardaway. Mo Harkless is out, so that gives a little bit of a boost for Evan Turner, but nothing to get me excited. Well, Jake Lehman at 3,700 just doesn't get enough minutes in that role to really trouble the scorers. The Chief, El Farouk Aminu. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. He's at 5,500, a strong tournament guy, but that's it. While the fort, Kevin Knox, has been brutal, averaging 17 over the last five in 25 minutes. At 4,800, there is still tournament upside. It's a very good matchup for forwards going up against the Blazers, but he just hasn't shown an ability to do that. And then you've got Vonley, uh, who we just don't know what Fisdale's going to do. So really only tournament plays 
for these Knicks guys. Same with the centers. Mitchell Robinson at 4,200. He could have 35 points. He could have four points. And Ennis Cantor, the same thing. 6,500 for Cantor. He dropped 48 last game in 38 minutes, but he could play 18 minutes. Literally no way of knowing. Cantor, of course, has a much larger upside, but you're paying more for it, and it's very hard to lock in on that. If I want to lock in on someone, it's Yusuf Nurkic, who's at $8,000, 40 points a night, pretty consistently, plus the Knicks are one of the best teams to go up against for our opposition centers. Let's look at this on DraftKings to wrap it up. The Fort at 4,000, Kevin Knox, I actually think there is some value there. Uh, Aminu at 47, Nurkic at 74, Trey Burke at 42, I like a lot, and Lillard at 9-7. But again, those Knicks guys, really, really hard to rely upon them because as soon as they get blown out at the start, which they will, Fizdale is liable to do anything with uh, with his lineups. Let's go through some studs and values on DraftKings. Whiteside at 8,000. I love that matchup. And my value play is Johnny Isaac at 3,500. My stud on Fangio is Whiteside at 8,600. And my value is the Rooster Dinla Gallinari at 67, assuming he plays. On Yahoo, my stud is Whiteside at 3,600. And my value play is the minimum salary of DJ Augustine. And on Draft Stars, my stud is Damian Lillard at 16.620. And my value play is the Fort Kevin Knox at 6.420. Guys, go and subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And leave a five-star rating. It's a great way of supporting this show. Go and uh, download it on multiple devices. Tell your friends. Share it on social media. And you can find it on YouTube. Go and hit subscribe. Hit the bell notification so you know when a new video goes live. Leave a comment. Give it a thumbs up as well. It just gives it more visibility on that platform. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Joel Embiid.